Hello, this is Haley Crusher Kane with another edition of Crusher Talk. I just made the mistake of looking at my analytics and noticing that every single week listenership has gone down. <laughs> so whatever I'm doing, I'm doing a fabulous job. The funny thing is, uh, there is no structure and there is no, like, we're not trying to do anything here at Crusher Talk Radio, so it's it's fine. <laughs> But I, I do firmly believe a lot of these platforms should lock their analytics from the creators because I don't need to know that. I don't need to know that every week people are getting sick of my rambling. Um, I'm just kidding. That said, I'm going to keep doing this, of course, always. Um, I mean, always? Wait, maybe I shouldn't say always. I'll keep doing this until uh, it doesn't feel good anymore. But um, today is Tuesday. I uh, decided I would get this going uh, kind of first thing, actually, um, because I was excited to talk to you guys about um, our show last week. Um, last Tuesday, if you didn't know, was um, a big show for us in Los Angeles with Josie Cotton. Um, you know, probably our fifth gig in the past, I don't know, like two years or something, or not two years. What are we at? Like 20 months now? I don't know. Um, so a, a, a rather um, important gig that, you know, one of a handful um, that took place, and it was also Dr. Kane and my eight-year wedding anniversary. What? Um, we started the day off really nicely, had a wonderful morning. Um, that's his least favorite word, by the way, is wonderful. So I'm going to just keep saying wonderful. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful morning. It was a magical morning. Um, I don't want to get too into it because I have learned as a millennial that has been on the internet most of my life there are things you share, things you don't share. So I will share one gift that was given to me by my beloved that I thought was really sweet and very um, apropos for this podcast. Shall I call it that? Um, I have a, a writer uh, who does a podcast I listen to. Her name's Melissa Broder, and she does a show called Eating Alone in Her Car, in my car, where she just eats alone in her car, and she calls her show a shodcast. And I love that because she also puts in minimal effort and also, um, although committing weekly is quite you know, nothing to scoff at, um, she's not editing and piecing things together and making things perfect. So she calls it a shot cast. I need to think of another, maybe sparkle cast, sparkle cast, the sparkle cast network. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. Um, this wonderful gift that was given to me. It, um, so I don't have a lot of pedals. My rig is very simple. We actually learned this from surprisingly the murder junkies, which is, um, led by, uh, the late Gigi Allen's brother, Merle, um, a different time, a different era, a different band. We played with them and they showed up and said, Hey, can we use all your gear? And we're like, sure. And they came with pedals. And in fact, the pedal, um, I think it's called a 78 distortion pedal, 77 distortion pedal. That would make more sense. Um, that, that Dr. Kane procured after that was actually a copy of the one that he saw on stage that, um, Merle was playing. So he just came, they just came, they used pedals plugged right in. Um, that gave them their sound and they used the clean channel of the amps. Didn't really matter what, how good the amps were, um, for the crushers just starting out and trying to do tours. And one time we like, oh my God. Yeah. We flew to Colorado, didn't have a place to stay or a vehicle. So we ended up using Uber and staying at these Airbnbs. It was a disaster. 
God, that was a disastrous tour. But um, we made it happen because, you know what, we could fly with our pedals. So Dr. Kane has this fuzzy bass pedal. I have my clean um, Dan Electro spring reverb pedal that gives me a really warm, juicy, reverb, wet sound. And off we go and our tuners and that's all we needed. So I don't have a ton of pedals, um, but I do have my tuner. I do have my Dan Electro spring reverb pedal, which is actually quite bulky. Um, and then I, so I have a stomp tuner. I have that. <clears throat> and then we've been talking about me using more distortion. Although when I do use distortion, I feel like the guitar blends in with the bass because as you all know, the Crusher's sound is clean guitar distorted bass. So having both distorted live really blends together. Um, and it kind of gets turned into a weird mush. So, but we've been talking about different ways we can tweak the distortion to make it, to differentiate it from the guitar. So anywho, on our anniversary morning, I woke up and he had this beautiful, um, soft case that I opened a brand new soft case with a, um, nice sturdy, pedal board in there with all of my, and I say all because I don't have many, my, my two pedals plus the distortion pedal that I'm going to be using. And it was all set up. It was all nice. And so I normally carry this all in just a suitcase with the um, power adapter and the little cords that connect everything. And it becomes sort of a chaotic mess. And I just because I don't, I'm not one of those guitar players that has 30 pedals. And when you see these people with 30 pedals, I want them to use them all. I'm like looking at them like, why do you have this many pedals? Does this make you feel better? Does this make you feel secure? Because you can suddenly bust into some sort of like psychedelic solo. Like what is going on here with your ego that you need 200 pedals? Um, so I never felt like I validated or like really qualified for needing a pedal board. But I can't tell you how wonderful and easy it was when we drove down to LA to play Zebulon to like plug in my pedals. I just plugged. It was so easy. It was so nice. That's such a thoughtful gift. I feel like when somebody thinks about your experience and making your experience easier or making your experience, they, I feel like there's problem solvers in the world. I know a few, there's a few in my family. I would say my father is a problem solver in this way. My stepdad is a problem solver in this way. Reed is a problem solver in this way of looking at somebody's world and saying, what is the small thing I could do to tweak this to make it nice? And usually it's a person that like me who I literally just didn't even think about getting a pedal board <laughs> for all the reasons I explained. Um, but now it's like this one unit I just bring out of my bag and I'm like, mm, ready to go. Fabulous. So that was a really nice morning and I gifted um, my husband with a portrait of our deceased dog, Mavis, who was a little terrier, terror, little trash dog. And um, I actually went to a guy named, oh my gosh, am I going to forget his name? So this Instagram is Wolf Night Art. Oh, Tyler Wolf. Um, I was halfway through the process of this commission with this painting when I realized, oh, he was in, he's in Valiant Thor and he's in the band Evening Shadows, which is actually a band I, I've written about for New Noise magazine, um, helping out my friend Travis over at Eccentric Pop Records, who's a friend of the Crushers. And I thought that was so funny. I didn't even realize until halfway through, hey, I know this guy. Um, but he's a great guy. He takes several photos of your pet and he paints your pet with this sort of, um, it's a it's a really interesting style. It's a very like um, a chaotic kind of style. Um, 
I'm trying to think of what it looks like, but I'll just post a picture with the Substack. Um, anyways, uh, the first image that he did was like too nice, and 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 he's known for making these dogs like or cats, um, kind of punk rock. So you know your cat comes back with like a studded vest on or whatever. And I told him, you know, Mavis smoked cigarettes. She smoked menthols. She loved Motley Crue. Her favorite thing was to wake up outside of the bar in the dumpster and like blink in the daylight and just do it all over again. So I wrote this whole little like story about Mavis and that came back and she had this, her hair was perfect. The nice, big, fluffy uh, terrier mohawk was there. Um, Her cigarette was there, but she was too nice looking. And so I said, can you make her like more pissed off and more dirty? She also had the Motley Crue shirt on, which was great. So he ended up adding flies, which I actually suggested. He added stains to the denim on her vest and on her pants and um, gave her a little crooked growl, like sort of a, like a frown and made her eyebrows a little pointier. <laughs> so because I knew if I'm like, if he opens this and, the, and it's just Mavis, like as a sweet little angel, which she was not, um, that wouldn't go over well. So it all worked out. He actually was incredibly kind. Tyler was with um, all the, you know, I said, can you change this, 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 and that, and the other thing? And he's like, yeah, no big deal. And he did a great job. So um, I'll post the picture. He is Tyler Wolf, and it's Wolf Night Art. And I believe it's Wolf N-I-T-E on Instagram. So we had a nice little morning, drove down to L.A. with um, Ben, picked up Ben on the way in Santa Maria. Um show went great. It was really well attended, groovy little venue, great sound. Um, very kind of, it's fairly interesting. It's, it feels very DIY punk, bohemian, whatever. Um, but also great sound. They have, um, the ability to have a projector with, you know, stage videos and stuff. And we did that. We actually, I should say we, but it was really all my husband who did this. Um, he took his phone and, and filmed, things on YouTube with his phone. Then I put it into Final Cut Pro and made it all crazy and wonky. So for instance, he took video of um, roller coasters, uh, fireworks, women, women's wrestling. (laughs) Uh, What else? He wanted to do puppies, but we decided not against puppies. Um, And we kind of mixed it all up with colors and graphics and had that behind us. So, so the venue was very well set up for that, had a great back line of gear. The drums were a little hodgepodge of, of what was available, but, um, the amps were great. In fact, I didn't even have to use my, my pedal cause the reverb on the amp was so naturally gorgeous. So, um, yeah, it was a really fun show. Josie Cotton blew it away. His, her band is so, dialed in and their ability to play so she has so many different sides to her um from pop to to rock to to more punky stuff to more psychedelic to sort of a country thing to sort of a throwback kind of 60s vibe like she's got so many different styles of music that she loves and and can do because her voice is amazing um so to have the the band to actually pull that off in a club setting was just awesome um it really represents a level of stage ability that I would love to get to, um, you know, having the drummer with the in-ear monitor and, uh, working with a, a click track and having these alternate layers of sound available and, um, having the, the added, uh, layers of hooks with having the keyboard and having the, 
um, lead guitar that's really ripping, you know, all these things, it really adds such a luxurious, very lush sound to the experience. And I felt like very impressed and very inspired by that. Um, the first band dropped out at the last minute. Apparently there was an illness involved. So, um, the local band automotive showed up and played uh, sort of a blues based rock band, a uh, female fronted band, which was great. I mean, I, I was like, uh, I don't know who I'm going to call. I, I was went straight into, I need to fix this mode, which is funny because I'm just used to putting on all the shows, but because this was put on by the label kitten robot records and our, our label cat herder Bruce was on it immediately and found a, a great local band. So it all worked out. A bunch of friends showed up. We were all dancing. My friend Leslie was laughing, saying she she and her and our my our friend Lindsay, both of them, the two L's, were pretending to ride the roller coaster as we were playing the roller coaster projection <laughs> projection. Um, part of Ben's drum kit fell over at one point, which was hilarious, and somebody came and picked it up. Um, Dr. Kane made some sweet jumps. I was noticing him jumping all over the place out of the corner of my eye. It was fun to play um, a show on our anniversary, which is something we'd never done. And also I was able to wear this beautiful dress that Leslie actually created for me for the night. Um, She is from, she has an Etsy shop called Venus and Vintage if you want to support her. And she um, is incredible at finding these amazing vintage pieces and finding homes for them. But this was a custom bespoke dress that was based off of a 80s performance that Josie Cotton had done that Reed and Leslie were watching on YouTube at her apartment one night um, in Hollywood. And they decided that they were going to design this dress. So I had nothing to do with this dress, really, Um, except for making sure the measurements were correct and saying, can you make it a little bit longer this time? So it's not we're not showing too much upskirt action. Um, if you guys didn't know, she also designed the dress in my She Drives video. So um, we, I felt super fortunate and lucky to have that. It just makes you feel special when you're wearing something like that. It makes you feel very special. It makes you feel um, ready for yeah, the night, you know, it makes the night different. Um, I think what you wear does definitely affect how you play, at least for me. Um, me and Liberace. So that was really cool and uh, sold some merch. There were some, it was amazing that the the scene there was quite gay, which I loved. It was like very queer um, because Josie Cotton has a lot of fans in that, of that persuasion. So I think coming from a punk rock background, there's always been queer people in punk rock, but at the same time, the people that really you notice the most, I feel like are like the more bro-y people that are moshing or like I don't know they just stand out more and it was kind of cool to be in an environment where the majority of the people were a little weirder a little artier a little more fringy more artistic or whatnot you could you could tell right off the bat it was a different crowd perhaps an older crowd um which I always love because hey I just feel like young people young people today are they gonna love you in six months probably not they're going to be on to the next thing. They're going to be on to Machine Gun Kelly. I don't know what that is, but I know that's a thing. And you just, you got to appreciate your old people because they got money. Um, they're committed. They're smart enough. Their frontal lobe is developed enough to choose good bands. And so you should feel lucky and grateful that they let you into their world. So <laughs> um, not to say it was 
any older than a crushers crowd. I mean, we have a lot of older fans and by older, I mean like not 21 year old kids, which is fantastic really, because, um, that can get quite annoying quite fast. People don't know how to drink. Um, anyway, I'm kind of rambling now. That was a great show. I wanted to let you guys know that we're back on track for getting out there and we're looking at a tour. We're working on a tour. Um, I've also been reading some books lately. I just finished the Elvira memoir, which is amazing. It does get a little bit weird in the middle where she's just kind of listing like, like there's the, there's, there's the beginning. There's a struggle years where she's struggling to become an actress. And she's the idea of being Elvira is the least thing from her mind. I mean, she wanted to be a real actress. She did the groundlings. She did uh, improv. Um, she is a good actress. She's actually a fabulous comedic actress. If you really watch her and listen to her, even in the book, she's got great comedic timing. I recommend the audiobook. That's what I did for this because, I mean, it's Elvira. You want to hear her talk. It gets a little, and then, oh, then there's a rise, and then, you know, she's a teenage showgirl in Vegas and almost has sex with Elvis and Tom Jones. <laughs> Um, just really funny. Uh, the Tom Jones story. Wow. It's something else. Um, but it gets a little dicey in the middle because there is a point where she's like trying to be an actress. She's done being a showgirl. She hasn't become Elvira yet. She doesn't become Elvira till her early thirties. So there's this point in the middle where there's just a lot of like the guys she's sleeping with and the, she's doing commercials or she's doing kind of, you know, little odds and ends and stuff. And it's just, it reads like, uh, I don't know. A con. It, it just reads like her little black book of all the men she had sex with. I'm all for having a lot of sex in books. It's fine. But I felt like a lot of it was just describing these hunky guys that she was with. And I don't know. It just got boring after a while. I was like, oh, surprise, surprise. She attracted a man, suitor. And that man was interested in having sex with her. Um, but then at the end, the twist is uh, she's been with a woman for the past 17 years comes out pretty much comes out. Um, I don't think she feels the need to define her sexuality, which I like, especially for an icon like her. That is, it's always fun when a sex, uh, a sex symbol plays with that, knowing that that is the power that they, they have or have harnessed, have decided to harness. And they've, they worked with what mama gave them and, um, they use it to twist things around um, not to say that she's twisting her sexuality by being with a woman, but she's always played with that. And I think it's just really cool to think of Elvira as um, not, not, you know, she's not, a, especially after the whole book of her and men. And there's a lot of bad stuff with dudes. There's a lot of predatory behavior that happened in the entertainment industry. A lot of bad shit happened to her. It's just kind of cool to see her be like, you know what? I'm not even saying I'm gay. I'm just saying I'm with a woman and she's amazing. And it's like, try to define me, you know, mic drop. So I really liked that. I like that she's owning herself and her weirdness. And um, I particularly like the part where she talks about this beautiful old house that she lived in in Hollywood that um, was just haunted beyond belief. And I don't believe in ghosts, but I do love Elvira talking about ghost stories. <laughs> I just, I really enjoyed that, especially in October. Um, I also am starting, I just got into the Debbie Harry memoir, Face It. Speaking of women 
taking control of their sexuality. She has been playing with that since day one. She talks about that a lot. She also talks about how she's had all these weird close encounters and even a rape at knife point or gunpoint. Um, and, and just how much she's endured as well. And it, it makes you realize that uh, a lot of these women that, that come on the scene and the, the sex stuff is so much a part of their act. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of darkness there, a lot of shadow there, and they've had to deal with a lot. And I think it's also, obviously it's the changing times and, you know, back in the seventies in New York, it was not a safe place to be. And um, it was not the same place for women that it is today. Women have a lot more agency and are allowed to just look at Beyonce. Like she basically just wears a onesie on stage. And I mean, that shows how old I am. There's all these new women pop stars coming up that are just, I don't know. They look like fembots to me from Austin Powers. They're just like super sexualized and they're just up there doing their thing. And, um, I think that's great. I think it's great. We live in a world that if you want to do that, you can do that. So, um, but the, the Blondie, the Debbie Harry book, um, so far is cool because it brings you back to New York in the early, um, late sixties, early seventies talking about those people. And I'm actually still listening to the no dogs in space, um, season about velvet underground. So I'm immersed in New York and I just got back from New York. So I'm just thinking about all these places. And when she talks about St. Mark's place or the Bowery or all these places, I can imagine what it might've been like and imagine the actual scenery, which is quite nice. It's quite nice to um, have an accidental theme happening. So I've been enjoying that. Um, I also read um, Aaron Kamabus's, um at, and his, his friend, Steve, I can't remember his last name. They wrote a book called uh, it's a not it's a nonfiction, ac- almost academic, sociological book report <laughs> um, on a punk house um, in Florida um, that is very legendary, and, and they actually use students to ask a lot of these questions, and then kind of compiled it together. And some of the stories are really cool, and some of the ways that the house existed are very cool. For instance, they had a pop-up vegan um, cafe on their front porch, which I thought was very whimsical. Um, I don't know. They talk about the community, and there's all these different people that lived in the house. They share their experiences. If you like um, stuff like that that is very uh, almost bordering on academic but still in the punk realm, I found it interesting. Um, Some of the questions are very dry because the students – these are students now that know nothing about what a punk house is. So they're asking these interesting questions like about what a punk house is, which if you have lived in a punk house, you know what it is and it can be wonderful and it can be terrible. And, um, it's often very, very messy. There's often, uh, it often looks like a bomb has exploded in the kitchen. There's actually a great Portlandia episode, um, where they, Fred and Carrie, um, basically they, they base basically the skit, the whole premise is that there's a punk house that they're trying to preserve as a museum. And Fred is like the, um, historical actor, you know, he's just there. That's just like chaos, man, just standing there. Like, and they have like the couch that's been rained on for 10 years and the giant ashtray that's never been, you know, emptied. And I found that funny because this book, um, which details the house three, it's called 309. 
uh, in Pensacola, I should say, Pensacola, Florida. Um, they are actually turning the house into a museum and it's becoming a museum and they're archiving a lot of this old stuff. So I found that so funny and interesting. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to me, even like not like nineties nostalgia is like interesting to me because I remember that time and now it's coming back and people are preserving it in their own way. And it's just cool to see like, I don't know. There's this tendency in my mind to think that the old days were like the fifties or sixties, but no, the old days were like the nineties and the early two thousands. And that's when that punk house was happening. And when you look back now and you're like, that was like 20 years ago and it was its own thing. And it's kind of nice because it makes you realize you're going to be part of some time capsule someday. And, um, part of this thing that you can't, um, you can't separate yourself from it and you think you think you're above it or whatever but you're such a we're all products of the time that we're in whether we rally against what's happening whether we uh, conform to what's happening whether we feel out of place whether we feel like outsiders there's always the outsiders of that time that become crystallized into their own interesting sociological thing so yeah, that's been interesting. I finished that and uh, recommend that to anybody who's doesn't know what a punk house is because you're going to get real deep into that there. Um, my story about Kathy Valentine, I don't know if I told you guys uh, the, the Go-Go's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame story. It, it was published online um, on Bust, Bust Magazine online and uh, uh, probably like half of it was re- like edited out like a lot of the personality, a lot of nuance was taken out of it, which sucks. But I will tell you, I'm going to run that interview with Kathy Valentine on my podcast, Sparkle and Destroy, which I record with my good friend, Danielle, the Merc Crusher Bagnall. And so if you do want to listen to that, I've decided, we've decided we're going to put that into the next podcast. So I'm not going to run it here, but it will be part of the Sparkle and Destroy pantheon so if you want to check that out that'll be our next episode um shane her wonderful husband has made wonderful wonderful her wonderful husband has made a cocktail that is quite uh perfect for this episode of course i'm not going to divulge that here because it'll be a fun little secret um but we're recording that tonight and i'm excited cleaning and i'm cooking today we have a friends giving event uh, slash Dr. Kane's birthday that is happening tomorrow. And I am brining my turkey. I am cutting my onions. I am roasting my squash. I am purchasing all the things and, um, creating a list this for the first time ever of what the heck I'm doing in the kitchen. Cause I do actually need to know the time schedule for things because I love my new oven, but it is not giant. It is not like a double oven or anything like that. So I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to play some Jenga with this food situation. Um, Haven't had a lot of friends over in a long time. Dr. Kane is building, has built a very cool fireplace feature in our backyard. So I'm excited to have some fire. Um, Yeah, we're working on that new song and it's sounding amazing. In fact, I need to go now and do some guitar recording. So I've been putting that off. So maybe that's why I did this first. (laughs) 
So I got to go do some guitar recording um, for one of the songs on the new album. We'll be back down in LA recording next week. So lots of fun stuff to talk about in the next week. Um, I hope that you're having a good week so far and that you're preparing for the holidays in the way that suits you. Um, it is a little maddening, the Christmas music already, but just remember the Christmas music can't hurt you. It can be annoying. It can be very irritating. It can make you sad or nostalgic, but it can't hurt you. Okay? Just remember that. It cannot hurt you. Bing Crosby cannot hurt you. So <laughs> I hope you're surviving this time, um, this hibernation time, surviving or thriving, perhaps uh, both at the same time as we all are, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll talk to you guys next week. All right. Take care of yourselves.